Greetings, I'm Rod Jans. Welcome to Hints of Gladness. In our current series of podcasts, we're going to explore the topic of contemplation. What does contemplation mean, and how does it impact the way we show up in the world? I'm hoping that these conversations will be a contemplative experience. So I invite you to join us, engage, and be open as we discuss my guest's spiritual journey and their contemplative experiences. My guest today is Brent Unrah. Brent comes from a rich and diverse background of pastoral life and cross-cultural ministry work. He received his MA in Counseling Psychology from the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology in 2000 and has been working as a registered clinical counselor in BC ever since. Brent has a heart to bring help and healing to those struggling with their spiritual journey and has received training to become a spiritual director with SoulStream. Brent enjoys working with his hands on Kingfisher Farm, where he lives in intentional community, live theater, great literature, moving poetry, slow food, and stirring movies. He's very thankful for the ongoing adventure of sharing his life with his wife and always looks forward to quality time with his adult children and now his first grandchild. One of my favorite interviews ever was a prior conversation I had with Brent about his life at Kingfisher Farm. I don't have the audio anymore, but you can find the text on hintsofgladness.com under the title, Being Shaped by the Land. Now please help me welcome Brent Unraw. Okay, thanks for joining me today, Brent. Brent is a good friend and a fellow Soul Streamer, part of the organization called Soul Stream. And yeah, it's great to be able to have this chance to visit with you today and talk about contemplation. Yeah, great to be with you, Rod. Thanks for the invitation. This is exciting. So we've been starting times off with a moment or two of silence as kind of counterintuitive, <laughs> dead airspace. But uh, in the contemplative world, it makes a lot of sense. So I just want to invite you, Brent, and also our listeners to do whatever they do to silence themselves and enter mm-hmm. in silence. So I, good. I don't have a bell or anything. I'll just end it by saying thank you and asking Brent the first question. So let's, let's, be, let's be silent now.
Thank you. And I just want to say to our listeners, maybe just take a second to take a note of what was surfacing for them. And Brent, that's my first question for you. What's what's surfacing for you and what sort of state do we find you in today? Yeah, my first sensation was, man, how much I need permission to rest and to find calm and to practice silence, but how awkward I am at it or yeah, there's never a sense of, man, I am so professional or smooth at this. <laughs> so there's always a lot of clutter and just kind of the vibrations of the to-do lists and the preoccupations and the gentle, general frenetic pace of just the normal routine. So to take a break and have somebody just invite you into stillness. Yeah, there's such a richness, but also huh, I'm not very good at this. And that's part of it. That's okay. So it was nice. <laughs> good. Yeah. You know, I, I like, I love, I like what you're saying. Like for some reason we need permission. And then as soon as we do stop, it's like everything, it's, it's kind of like all this, it's, maybe it's like a truck or something that's pulling something behind them, or you've got a bunch of luggage in the back seat. As soon as you stop, it all comes kind of forward, rushing up into the front seat kind of thing. <laughs> But, yeah, that's uh, a great image. I think sometimes of a super tanker that when yeah. you, you shut the engine off and the screws are no longer turning, there's so much inertia that just keeps pushing forward. So it's just, yeah. uh, it's going to take a little time to let that big tanker just finally come to a resting place. Yeah. And probably more than two, and more than two minutes. I mean, right. <laughs> I don't know what your experience is, but when I practice like cent centering prayer, it usually takes about 10 minutes for my mind to slow yeah. down. As long as I don't, as long as I'm not still engaging my mind that entire time during that silent time, yeah. it takes a while. Yeah. 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 And I'm so thankful that I, I, or we all get to include distractions and, you know, mm -hmm. rabbit trails and just, okay. I didn't intend on, but my thought just the brain brought that thing up and to notice it and let it move on and come back to my intention to pay attention. I'm so grateful that that's part of it. Yeah. So almost to trust that. And you bring up another interesting point too, is that I think there's that feeling of, oh, I'm not very good at this. Right. But I don't think mm. anybody is, you know, <laughs> mm. I heard one guy in a video one time say that he was kind of special and that he was able to totally stop his brain and whatever. Mm. And that's not really even the goal anyways, but yeah, it's interesting that that comes up. And, and I think it's discouraging to people and why people often give up as well. They think it's about having yeah. to stop yeah. all, all thoughts and stuff like that. And it's, it's really not, it's just to, to be aware of them and to be with them. And it's yeah. part of the whole process, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I have to remind myself that for me, the practice is this invitation to receive love. It, it's, mm. you know, what's the ancient, how does the rose open up? And it just feels the warmth of light against its petals and it allows it to open up to receive photosynthesis. Mm. So it, it's like, whew, I'm not doing this to strive to be good at it. I'm, I'm just 
checking in as an orientation to kind of open the sails of my soul and just receive the wind and love coming towards me, which sounds so attractive when you say it. And then it's just easy to miss and awkward in doing it and a little counterintuitive for my colonial white brain that's so used to checking off things and accomplishing stuff. But it's, it's a nice reminder even today, just huh, silence opens me up to receiving love from a different posture. What was your journey to beginning to practice contemplation or live a more contemplative lifestyle like? Like what were some of your influences? How, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know who said it, but usually it's great beauty or great suffering invites us into any season of change. And I wish it was beauty that maybe was often the first. <laughs> but for me, it was a season of suffering, a season of restlessness, discontentment, boredom, kind of with my Anabaptist, conservative, fundamentalist, evangelical tradition. Been trained in that, was a pastor in that, went overseas as a missionary to evangelize and bring others into that tradition. And I found myself just a little empty. So it kind of was through failure and through frustration that uh, my daughter actually invited me to have a cup of coffee with Rob DeCoats. She was aware of him through Arosha and she was doing some earthwork with Arosha back in the day. And so I went out for a coffee with Rob and the conversation was just a different chemistry and Went to a few of his kind of Tuesday evening meditation nights. And there was a short input time and then 45 minutes of silence. And then Eucharist and more silence. And I was like, whoa. So used to deductive and exegesis and explaining. And I think it, it opened me up to a curiosity and it touched something that resonated I ended up finding a spiritual director and a sacred space that was attuning to listening to love and listening to my process but didn't feel as busy or it didn't feel like it was problem solving or crisis related i'm a therapist by vocation so it was interesting to find spiritual direction as a container that held me and that i yeah, to go back just to have somebody invite me into what I was feeling, what was surfacing for me, and then how God was holding that with me without fixing it, which was very, to help to heal it and to be with it. But it, yeah, it, it kind of awakened, I suppose, a bit more integration of the vastness of my feelings, the permission to have my body and to let it speak. And then what if there's more mystery with my journey with God that moves me away from being an apologist and a defender and yeah, always having to explain to 
moving towards, I suppose, the fruit of love. So yeah, that's a bit of a short mid-size answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just have this question popping up, so I'm going to I'm going to ask it. Is just you know being a trained therapist and and then experiencing and participating in spiritual direction, and even now you're a trained spiritual director. Like, how does it all fit for you? Like, you know, sometimes we have these arguments where it's you know either or, or one's better than the other, or whatever. I'm I'm not asking for that. I'm asking right. as a therapist, how does right. it all yeah. work together for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the therapeutic container, it feels like there is this really strong dyad and I'm building an alliance directly with the client and we're doing a lot of work together and my face is an important mirror, an important place for transference and working stuff out and a safe place to, yeah, to look at that truth and look at ways for addressing that. So there's a, a certain intensity and a certain dependence on the two of us doing the primary work. Within spiritual direction, I, I don't feel that the dyad is as fundamental between me and my spiritual director. I have a, a, a female spiritual director, so she is definitely a mirror and a muse and a context, but there's a third. There's there's the mystery and the loving ground of a God there. And there's permission to more actively open to that. And there's more silence. It's not emergency problem solving. So that that's a kind of when I'm in my counseling chair as a therapist, it's like, okay, there's, it's a bit more aggressive. And I really, I probably, probably bring some spiritual direction flair to it. But as a director, when I'm in that container, I, I don't feel as central or doesn't depend as much on me. I think sometimes in spiritual direction language, there's the primary connection is the loving flow between God and the person. I'm like the bridegroom or the doula or the side support. And there's a... Yeah, there's a gift to trust that and support that. If that does that make sense to some degree? Yeah, totally. There's that book, Holy Listening. I'm rereading it right now. Mm. It's direction, and she talks. She uses the example of a doula. You know, it's one of the okay. it's one of the metaphors that she uses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And for people who are thinking of becoming a spiritual director, I highly recommend that book. It's really yeah, that's great. Really, great reminder. You and I had a great conversation years ago. It was actually. I, I consider it to be almost formational in my journey. Oh wow! And you know, you we talked about we, we were doing we were doing an interview on a contemplative response to the world. Right. I'll put it in our our notes here on our website mm. so people can can listen to that again if I still have it somewhere. Right, buried somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so you were talking about your life on the farm and life and mm. community, and so. I mean, two questions I want to ask my guests are about community and life on the farm. And I don't want to put you in a, in a corner here, but 
how how would you answer those questions like has how has contemplation changed mm. your life or informed your life or how have you lived out the things that you're being mm. invited to it, mm. I, I would imagine that your life in community and on the farm there it, and, and maybe you can briefly describe that too is a part of that mm. Such rich questions. How long do we have to? I know we did a whole interview on that one. <laughs> so I guess you're going to, if you could give the readers digest. Uh, here. <laughs> yeah, I'll start with, I still suffer at times from a very dualistic kind of worldview where there's one or the other. And I'm, I'm constantly, which one is better? So there is that you know, go into your closet and silence and stillness and the mystery of, yeah, just slowing down my discursive left brain chatter and just being held in silence. But then God says something unique to Adam that you and me in the garden walking alone and however they were doing that, it's kind of an original contemplative moment, maybe. <laughs> yeah that it's not it's it's missing something it's not totally good it it isn't a triune interpenetrating there's just two people there and there's this trinitarian baseline through all things so that's where it's both and i i do have the invitation for my solitude and my solitary but then there's this trinitarian connectivity communal and god is like yes you are not primarily an individual. You are an individual. You, you are caught up in the web of being. And I invite you into this dance, which is both humbling and revelatory and celebratory. So yeah, Kingfisher Farm began in 2010. Seven families decided to take the risk and purchase what was the original field study center for Arosha, Canada, down here in South Surrey, to practice um, simplicity and sustainability, reciprocity, relational maturity, and hospitality to our larger world, and to learn how to be on the land. And how does the land hold us and be a part of shaping us? So I think we're in our 12th year and it is quite the practice lots of comedy <laughs> a fair dose of of finding your limits relationships seem to function as a crucible and they bring out so much beauty in you and then they squish and they whatever the false self is or the threatened self it, it gets exposed in in community but it gives me a context to constantly be held and be known by neighbors who you're you're growing you through life. sorry yeah by neighbors who are growing yeah is in your community is this false self true self is that a, a part of your dialogue part of your discussion that you have or is that just you <laughs> like yeah i don't know if everybody has the exact same vocabulary but there's a general awareness that belonging to this process of shared life. We all have bumps and bruises and childhood stuff and there's a psychological awareness and it's not utopian and we're not using it necessarily just to 
accelerate our maturity. So there's kind of roundedness in how in how we view it. So yeah, there's a a gratitude for it, and I'm still kind of learning that what if whatever sin is, what if it's the persistent illusion of my separateness from all things, that this dread that I'm on my own, that I'm kind of a, an abandoned orphaned. So what if the good news or joy is like, no, 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 you, you belong, you are connected, you are not, that's a persistent illusion. And it comes from air and breath to water to food to the beautiful douglas tree to the mycelium network to the local river to the birds like there's so much to consider that helps me reclaim i'm in the family of things and children and neighbors and farm work and i don't know it's just i always thought like there was only a few symbols that had kind of iconic power to connect you to God. And I didn't realize they're just like, they're wonderful. And there's a sacred dynamic to them, but they don't end there. Like there's so many other ways to help me come home to this surprise of belonging. So yeah, Kingfisher farm is definitely a, although it may not look like it. Um, it is part of the contemplative, you know, healthy relationships are a, a part of the contemplative journey. Even this conversation with you, it feels like it's, we're partaking of belonging and learning and listening and being in the conversation. I just had this conversation yesterday <laughs> right? just about how important community is being willing to receive love being after we spoke I saw something about uh, so, I don't know if it was during our discussion but someone mentioned about being willing to ask for help mm. you yeah. know willing that that totally. spoke that spoke to the conversation that we had yesterday right. yeah. So, yeah it's amazing even here on the farm with neighbors and friends who you've known and shared a lot of life with yeah. It, it, you can, you can, I can so quickly get a thought in my head and then get attached to that thought and project that thought onto people and kind of distance myself as if, oh, I, whatever, they don't like me or I'm not good at that. Or, and, and then you just can, you can feel yourself withdrawing. So even in community that all of us go through moments of that inner critic or that suspicion or I'm not good enough or everybody else is tight and nobody actually really likes me or wants me. And it feels like, am I back in grade seven again? Where is that thought that just shows up so quickly? And if you incubate that thought, we have a farm work day once a month on Saturday and I'm convinced just setting time aside to work together, it provides you an outlet to just say, oh, boy, my mind was really convincing me of some unhelpful thought patterns and just working with this person that those aren't true. And we're here and we're weeding or pruning. And there's something about working and eating together that really 
it, it, it kind of breaks that sometimes trance of your own inner loop. I know that you read a lot. Every time I talk to you, you've got, it seems like you have a book or a quote from somewhere. What are some of the current books that are contemplative in nature that are, are speaking to you? Hmm. Jesus of the East by Fook Lu has been an, a really helpful book to assist me in de decolonizing Jesus, to waking up to a brown Jesus and to a Jesus who really had a special heart for the minorities. So that's been a really helpful so yeah, I'm kind of trying to shift my language of deconstructing to decolonizing. I'm also working through Gareth Higgins' book. Gareth is, grew up in Scotland in the Troubles, and I've met him through his work with Movies and Meaning Festival. So he's a movie critic and a movie buff, but on how not to be afraid. So just enjoying his dialogue on fear and how do we acknowledge fear and pay attention to it and not let it master our lives. And I also just finished The uh, Soldier of the Great War by Mark Halperin. I read it once before. And in this time with Ukraine and war going on, I just wanted to go back to that. For me, a seminal book. The central character has this longing for aesthetics and for beauty. So it's this mixture of beauty in the midst of the World War I. So yeah, that's a few... Was there a book like in the past that was really pivotal, like really helped, really created a, a shift in your life that was maybe of, again of a contemplative nature? Yeah, living overseas in Italy for a season, somebody brought me some of the memoirs of Frederick Buechner and his book, Telling Secrets. I, it was like a different language. His sensitivity, his vulnerability, it's just way of talking about himself and God and life was like, there was an authentic humanity that really kind of pierced. So he was, he was very helpful. Ari Nowen has been very helpful. Henry Nowen, just his, his, uh, his contemplative way, his use of language. Parker Palmer has been such a gift. What is his book on let your life speak? It's kind of one of his classic. I'm looking for more, I think right now, a lot of more female authors. I'm just so grateful for the feminine voice, Barbara Brown Taylor, and this young generation of female writers, the Kate Bowlers of the world, uh, Diane Butler Basses. It's just so great to hear honesty and truth and thought through a feminine, through a feminine life sensitivity. Yeah, you're reminding me of a couple of podcasts I've listened to lately. I need to go back. I took, I took notes on, I can't remember who they were with right now, but such wisdom, you know, yeah. and, and, and people of different face them faith yeah. practices than mine too. And, uh, and I was just, I can just remember being yeah. blown away by what they had to say and the depth of wisdom that they had. I need to go back and you're reminding yeah. me to go back and check that out. I just realized my need for diversity. 
Like mm-hmm. if I'm just reading one mono, you know, like staying in some small little groove, I'm, I am missing. So indigenous writers, Robin Wall Kimmerer, Braiding Sweetgrass, such a tender, powerful, sad, nature-based, just learning from an indigenous thinker, theologian. Yeah, I, yeah, just, I, I read a chapter of her book this week, actually, or she, uh, yeah. I do recall her, her story of talking to her neighbor, there, she had an elderly neighbor, and her mom, who was this, was a professor, and quite intellectual, befriended this, her neighbor, who was very connected to the land, and made potions and stuff like that for people and anyways yeah it's it's very it's a really heartwarming story and also just a reminder again of how connected some people are to to the earth and to the seasons and mm-hmm. yeah stuff like that yeah and to their neighbors and how they would help one each help each other out again yeah yeah i kind of have on my list to read thanks to Brian McLaren's podcast on learning how to see the third season. He has a whole episode about neighbors and he interviews a sick woman. And I'm a little weak on my neighbors and sickism and how do I view them and what kind of connection do I imagine? And she's written a book called See No Stranger that for him is like, whoo, that's a foundational gifted book to read. And then Howard Thurman is a new name for me, an indigenous thinker and writer wrote Disenfranchised Jesus. That was a seminal book back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. It's like, ooh, I need to go back and kind of hang out with Howard for a bit. And So Brent, I know that one of the things that you're involved in is a course called Living from the Heart that's offered by SoulStream. And it's every time I get together with SoulStream people, they mention how impactful and influential that course has been. And, and sometimes they even mention you <laughs> and, and quote, quote like Brent you know, or, or, or Jeff or, you know, Embach yeah. or, you know, different things that you guys have said just about the right yeah. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that course. Yeah. No, it is a seminal and foundational like, relational experience for me back in 2009 that was part of opening me up to the contemplative life. And it's educational, it's experiential, it's communal. There's this permission to read and to write without it being academic very personal. So yeah, to me, it is, there's always this deep gratitude of who I met, what opened me up, what gave me space for my questions and for my process. So yeah, I'm obviously a, a champion and a proponent of living from the heart as a way to, what is this contemplative life? And how does it feel? And what are the practices involved in a way that's just not an intellectual journey? but it includes all of, all of what it means to be human. So yeah, I get to co-facilitate with the Living from the Heart out in Abbotsford that has a monthly model. And there's other intensive models and the online model. So it's a great gift that SoulStream gets to give to the world on 
on expressing the love of God through through this course. So I'm, yeah, can't say enough and can't be grateful enough for its its place in my life. This is another big question. So time time uh, permitting, <laughs> uh, like. I find that there are people who, that people that I did talk to who have taken the course did find that their life was maybe heading in a different direction. They were primarily living from their thoughts, from the left side of their brain, all mm -hmm. of that kind of thing. Maybe mm -hmm. you can just quickly tell us what it means to, I hate even asking it that way, but just if, if you could just expand a little bit on what it means to live from your heart. Yeah, I think for me, it means to live more of an integrated way where it's not as attached to, I think, therefore, my am, or I'm just explaining, or just my discursive, rational, analytical. That's a, a big value in life, and it's part of who we are, but often it, it misses the wisdom of your body or your emotions or imagination or intuition. So there's a whole other parts of our lives. So following the way of Jesus, you get to be an integrated whole person. So the contemplative life, I think, turns up the volume on your imagination, on silence. It obviously values the discursive, organized, scientific thinking brain. But it just brings it into harmony with the other, with the other parts of being alive and in community. Which, to be a co-learner with others and collaborating with this and Soulstream, the way the course is laid out, and it just does that so wonderfully. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we should kind of wrap up here. We're, okay. We're getting. We're moving on with time. I, I know I sent you a whole bunch of questions. Is there anything you I haven't asked you that you wish that that you were prepared to cover that you were excited about talking about that I haven't haven't asked you? I am just tickled. I'm not sure if it's tickled pink or just tickled that in the contemplative life of having a receptive posture to love finding me that I get to continually practice a beginner's mindset. This is not like becoming a master chess player. It, it's an upside down world of presence and practice. And I don't know, that allows me, I'm, I'm kind of a competitive person and I want to, if I'm going to play ping pong, I want to improve and I want to win and I want to feel like I'm getting, it, I'm, I'm mastering it. So just to keep coming home to, you can be a beginner at this your whole life. And that actually produces a lot more freedom and just the whole orientation of learning and showing up and partaking of that with other contemplatives. So that's a, that's a surprising ongoing freedom. And when I'm not, when I get in that, you know, I'm not getting good enough. And when am I going to break through to the next, next echelon? And when is there going to be more fruit? And it's like, okay, this isn't, this isn't that kind of a journey. So to come home to the organicness of it and, the humanity of it and to feel God's kindness within me. So it's been a real gift. Sounds very freeing, like to have that posture of beginner's mind, you know, mm -hmm. I'm feeling lighter already, just talking about mm -hmm. it. <laughs> I know. 
I, I think because I naturally feel that pressure to be yeah. an expert and I'm very competitive too. I want to be the yeah. best at something, right? I know. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> and I often I'm not, I'm not very good at anything in particular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for giving us some insight into your contemplative life. I think as contemplatives, there's this pressure, like, should we just stay, remain in the closet about this? Or is it okay to actually talk in <laughs> public about it? And it's, so I appreciate you being willing to, to talk about your yeah. journey today. Well, thanks for the invitation and the great questions and just a safe and spacious environment to talk and share and see what, see what surfaces. So I'm going to turn it over to you. I've wanted these conversations to be a contemplative experience for people. And I'm asking my guests to share something, a contemplative practice. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. I'll come back on when you're okay. done, but the, the floor is yours. Awesome. Thanks, Rod. So this is about an eight to 10 minute little guided meditation, which I just call meditation into embodied presence. And it feels like a bit of a variation or a bit of a tweak on the welcoming prayer, which starts off with this attunement to our bodies as a way into presence. So I'll just guide you and allow yourself, all of you who are listening, to create some space for this. So please, let's just pay attention to the life within us by being present to our bodies, including our thoughts emotions, and our inner felt sense. Let's begin by first taking a moment to close our eyes and come inside, bringing your gaze inward, settling more back and down into your body, giving yourself space to check in, to drop under all the noise and the bustle, giving yourself permission to just be. Feel directly the in and out of your breath, breathing and feeling. Four counts to inhale. Five counts to exhale. Just finding what's comfortable for you so that your breath is even and smooth. Bringing your inhale inward through your head. Using your inhale to make deep inward contact with yourself. And then the exhale releases. Nice and long and deep. Continue to breathe and feel and sense this throughout the exercise. So now bring your awareness all the way down into your feet. Sensing the contact of your feet with the ground beneath them. Letting your roots fully sink into the earth as you remind yourself of your groundedness in God. Now find your seat. Sense the contact of your seat with the chair you're sitting on. 
and your back resting against the back of the chair. Notice how the chair is supporting you, the way God supports you, allowing you to feel supported by the chair and by your bones. Now move your awareness more back into your spine. Just see if you can find your tailbone. And then slowly sense your whole spine from the tailbone to the top of your head. Perhaps pausing at your shoulders, allowing them to relax as if God is lifting off a pack you're carrying. Now sense that you are up at your head and face area. Allow your face to rest. Let your eyes, your jaw, your lips, your tongues, allow them to soften. Actually feel the softening. Then go inside your head, go to the middle of your head between your ears, softening your head on the inside. Letting it relax now, knowing that God is holding every thought, dream, experience, concern, or memory in your life. Bring your awareness into your chest, into your heart center. You may even place a hand there on your chest. Taking time now just to be there. Notice the area behind your hand more in the inner core of your body. And now sense that you are in your whole body all at the same time. Recalling that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And just noticing what it's like to be inside that temple with God in God. And know that you can return to this calm if you feel yourself getting anxious. So now just pause and sense what might feel constricted, what wants to be heard. What is like a knot in your life that would value and appreciate some loving attention? So allow a situation or a circumstance to come to mind that's causing some dis-ease in your life. It doesn't have to be big. You can choose something that's not that overwhelming. And as you think about this concern or situation, notice what feelings arise. See if you can name one or two. And notice the felt sense of that feeling in your body. And then together with God in you, practice coming closer to what is surfacing. Finding just the right distance. And as you stay present there, allow your attention to stay focused on your feeling and how it is expressing itself through a felt sense. It could be a knot in your stomach, a tightness in your throat, a heaviness in your shoulder. It's often a bit subtle and a bit murky. So just get real quiet inside and listen to that felt sense with kind, curious compassion. Picture yourself saying hello to that part of yourself. 
letting that part of you know that you are with it and that you want to get to know it and keep it company. And as you stay present there, you might notice what comes to your awareness, a thought, feeling, another felt sense, an image, a memory. Whatever comes to you, notice what happens to that hurting part of you. Notice how it responds without desiring it or pushing it to change in any way. Just sit with it as you would with a hurting child. And as you stay present there, just notice what more comes. Notice any changes or shifts. And as you stay present, is there more that wants to be heard? What does that constricted part of you want to know? Sometimes all it wants is that you know it's struggling and it isn't alone in its struggle. So go ahead, ask it, what kind of connection would feel helpful and good right now? Then let this part of your body know that you plan on returning to it. Give yourself some kind of bookmark or reminder as a way of more easily returning to this part. And as we move closer to this meditation time, pay special attention to what you feel invited to let go of. What might feel really good to release, to not hold as tight to. Take some time to name what comes to your heart and picture yourself opening your fingers and hands, allowing it to move away from you. So as we close, thank your body for communicating with you, helping you with insight and awareness and receive what your body has given with deep gratitude. And then without rushing, take what time you need, just to allow yourself to come back into the flow of the day. Thanks again for joining me today. Thank you for the time you took out of your schedule and also the time that you took to prepare for this mm. conversation. I, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for your vision and for your creativity and your heart and courage just to try it out and see, see where it goes and how it lands. So I'm, I'm excited and I can tell it's got some life for you as you host and yeah it's a version of farming you know cultivating putting some seeds out there yeah, we're pl we're planting some contemplative seeds yeah <laughs> maybe okay. that maybe our discussion will be like your discussion with rob coates rob mm -hmm. coates you know? yeah, yeah. Oh, i love that
Thanks again for joining us on Hints of Gladness. For show notes and other resources, please visit hintsofgladness.com.